Hi there, and welcome to a different way of seeing. Have you ever wondered how a disabled person lives their life? Join our host Lois Drachen as she chats to people about work, education, travel, sport, the arts, and leisure, and the tools and techniques they use to live their lives with the disability. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to today's episode of A Different Way of Seeing. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. Today, we're starting with a new section of um, interviews called Job Talk, where we're talking to people with disabilities involved in employment outside of the disability sector. And today we're talking to Anel Kutsia, and we're talking about her work related to the legal profession. Anel, how are you doing? Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lois. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to have you with us. And I'm looking forward to kind of chatting to you and learning a little bit more about your work and some of the, the challenges and some of the successes that you've had within the legal profession. But maybe we can just start by asking you to introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Perfect. Um, so I'm Anal and I am visually impaired. Um, I think I should qualify that by saying I am pretty much completely blind at this point. And it will, will become relevant as um, we carry on. Uh, given the tendency of people to categorize disability in classes of disabled and not so disabled or not so much so that it scares us off. Um, so in that sense, I think I've pretty much been through it all from actually um, sighted to completely blind, going through that transition in the workplace. Um, I am a legal practitioner. So what that means for me is that uh, I did my law degree. I then um, went through my articles. I was a candidate attorney. I was eventually admitted as a practicing attorney. And I then decided to leave practice for um, the private sector entirely. So I currently work as a legal advisor. Um and that's pretty much my professional story. Well, tell us a little bit more about what your job involves. So my job involves looking after the legal interests of a group of companies. So I currently work for a group consisting of about 22 or 23 companies across South Africa, Africa, um, it includes Ghana, Botswana, Mauritius, Namibia, and uh, Eswatini. So my job essentially is making sure that when we sign contracts, we negotiate terms that are fair and favorable towards the companies that I look after. We make sure that we don't expose ourselves to unnecessary risk. Um, when we have a situation where we have to get involved in litigation, it'll be my responsibility to get the process started, to manage our external panel of attorneys. And I look after a compliance function for the group. So it's become more and more important uh, in the corporate world um, when we look at protection of personal information, financial um, or anti-money laundering, things like that. Um, we have BE, we have ISO. So there's an increasing compliance function for legal advisors today. And essentially, it is my job to make sure that when there's a regulatory compliance function, that we adhere to the policies and the legislation um, of South Africa or of the other countries where um, we conduct business in. And then we also have, well, obviously, the whole point of 
a business is to make a profit and sometimes it's to expand. So the group of companies that I work for, they have a particular focus on expanding the business. So it is my responsibility to go in when we buy new companies or we acquire new companies or um, merge with companies that we conduct a proper due diligence investigation, look at, is it a good deal? Does the company have adequate protection? Where are the company's biggest exposures um, to risk? And then also to um, draft all the necessary agreements. Um, so, And then also have a company secretarial function. So that is just to make sure that um, all the company's details are up to date and um, filed with the company's intellectual property commission. So that's quite a different role from where you started out as a practicing attorney. Um, Absolutely. Working so, both sides, yeah. Yes. So when I was a practicing attorney, obviously my role was more from, a, well, sometimes from a litigation pers- um, perspective, I was a litigation um, specialist. So my job involved to the point where everything turned badly and there was nothing else to do. And um, we had to turn to the court for intervention. Um, and then obviously another part of my job as a practicing attorney was to look at a, a case of a client and advise the client, you know, is this a good idea to pursue this? Um, because you don't want to end up with a situation where, yes, you have a court judgment, but the company or the person you have that judgment against cannot actually make good on that judgment. So then you've essentially spent a whole lot of legal fees to achieve very little in the end. Um, and then, I mean, there are some overlapping functions when you're attorney versus when you are a legal advisor. So I still reviewed a lot of contracts as an attorney. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think for me, the switch came in that um, as a practicing attorney, it's a very high fee earning um, career. So the legal fees are quite high across um, the profession from whether you work for a smaller legal law or law firm to a larger um, law firm. And I realized that often when cases came across my desk, I felt that if the company had a good legal advisor to begin with, they might not actually have gotten to the point where they needed to pay um, lawyers' fees to get something very simple resolved. So I definitely think for me the switch came in was that I wanted to start at the beginning. I wanted to work with companies from day one to try and limit the exposure and try and sort of curb the need to actually have to incur legal costs. Okay. Well, you mentioned starting at the beginning. And maybe if I can take you back to kind of the beginning of your time coming out of university with a degree and now starting to look for your articles, starting to look for work. Tell us about some of the the experiences you had as someone with a visual impairment entering the job market. So this was probably one of the hardest experiences. I was completely disillusioned by the time I actually managed to find a place to do my articles. Um, I was in my final year university and I should say that for any of your listeners, if you find yourself in your second year of your law degree, that's the time when you should be starting to try and find articles or find a job after your law degree. Um, it takes incredibly long. A lot of your larger law firms already start advertising positions for three years in the future. So I waited 100% too late to start looking. And I don't want to be too hard on myself in this particular case because I waited so long because I had to do a full course load every year. I studied at a university where at the time um, we didn't really have a lot of accommodations or anything like that. So often I was behind everyone else. I had to do extra modules for 
the year before when I didn't have my books and I had to drop modules. So before my last year of studies, I felt absolutely too tired to try and find articles. And then when I got to my fourth year, obviously it was a bit late. And you still coming in with the conversation that needs to happen about your disability. So I sent my CV to probably 400 law firms and I didn't get one single interview. What I did get was law firms that phoned me, asked me about my disability and then told me, well, we have a building with four floors. We don't know how we're going to get you upstairs every day. And, they, you know, those people weren't, they didn't know anything about disability and they weren't really interested in listening to me telling them, well, you know, I've been climbing stairs for years, so it's not really a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, all they saw was if you fall downstairs, I'm going to have a liability problem. And we also had law firms who insisted that they couldn't hire me because I didn't have a driver's license, I didn't have a car. And I should point out that all of these things are discriminating in its most basic form. There is no, there's no guessing. There's no, we have to sit and analyze whether this is really discrimination. It is discrimination. Mm -hmm. But the problem in South Africa is we do not have disability-specific legislation So every time that I feel I've been discriminated against, I have to go and enforce my rights in that particular instance. So yes, I could have gone and I could have challenged every single one of those companies that didn't even want to interview me based on my disability. But the problem is at the end of the day, I would have had to enforce my rights, you know, one company at a time. And we can't do that. Disabled people will sit in litigation for the rest of their lives if we had to actually follow that approach. Yeah. So it's it's a sad truth that we leave it, you move on. And um, in December of, of my, when I finished my degree, I came to Johannesburg and I said to my mom, well, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. Either I have to go back to university and do my master's or I have to, I don't know, do something else entirely. Um, but I just couldn't find a place to do my articles. So I was very lucky. And I feel like sometimes it works like that. You you put in all the work and you, you have to rely on a little luck. Um, I had an aunt who had a friend um, whose husband was um, the chairperson of a law firm. And she said to me, well, I cannot guarantee you a job. I can't, I can't do anything for you. All I can tell you is I will give him your CV. And she gave him my CV. They phoned me and they said to me, well, we've never had a a person with a disability before. We don't know if it would work, but we are willing to give you 10 minutes to convince us. So I packed up everything I had. My I put um, a copy of my screen reader on a memory stick. I took my phone. I took my iPad and... I dressed the part and I walked in there with confidence. I definitely didn't exactly feel. Mm. And I think that taught me the very first lesson in the corporate world is fake it till you make it. So if you Mm. do not have it, you pretend that you do in any way. And I walked in there and I said to them, well, you know, I've never done articles before either. So I don't know if it would work just as much as you don't know if it would work. But all I know is that this is my life and I only have one chance to get it right. So I said to them, you do not have to accommodate me in any manner or form. I'm not asking you to spend one single cent on my reasonable accommodations. I have my own screen reader that you can put on any of your computers and I can Uber everywhere I need to go. I can use my phone and I have a lot of apps that can turn images to text and text to speech and things like that. So I have no problems putting in extra work to make sure that I make the environment as accessible as I can for myself. And I said to them and put me on probation as you would with anyone else. If it doesn't work after three months or however long you deem probation is necessary, then, you know, then I'll accept it and I'll move on if, you know, if I agree that it didn't work. And they phoned me and they said to me, okay, let's try it. So I was lucky again in that this particular law firm already 
moved all their files over to an electronic system or practice management system. So you still get a lot of law firms today that still operate on little brown folder file systems where a document comes in at reception and they immediately put it in a brown file. So it's a hard copy. There's never, ever electronic files. So this company that I went and worked for, they were very much focused on environmental um, sustainability and they moved over to an electronics-based system. And it was extremely good for me that this particular system that they used was actually one of the systems that I would say it was probably about 80% accessible, which is really good. Um, I've looked at some of the other practice management systems out there for legal practitioners, and this is really good. Um, the only points where it really wasn't accessible was actually the accounting functions and things like that, that, yeah. you know, I didn't need to use or that I could have asked someone else to assist me with because it didn't hinder my ability to perform my daily tasks. So I went to the company and really, I think this is where if, if it's your plan to start working in a corporate environment out of the disability sector, you need to do that mind shift that you are going to put in everything. You're going to put in twice as much work as everyone else because it, it sounds terrible, but the truth is people don't often engage with disabled people. So they don't know us. They don't know what we're yeah. capable of. And we go in and they assume that you are less than everyone else. They assume that you are less competent, you are less capable, and it's really up to you to go in. And you can have the, the attitude of saying, but you know, no one else has to put in so much work. No one else has to work twice as hard, so why should I? Or you can just go in and accept that, that you have to do that, and you go and you earn their respect. So, yeah, you know, I think... I've heard some horror stories of people going through that interview process of people being asked the most basic of questions about how they accomplish just simple everyday tasks. And always my mind goes, well, if you're being asked that, how on earth can they then envision that you'll be able to do your, the job? And it, it so really thought, can become a huge problem. I, I really, I really thought the same thing because when I went for this interview with this company that I eventually started my articles at, these were the questions they asked me. They asked me, how can you, how do you brush your teeth in the morning? Oh, no. They asked me, how are you going to get dressed in the morning for work? And in that moment, I decided, you know, I can handle this in one of two ways. I can answer their, their questions sincerely and, but directly, or I can be sarcastic, which is normally my default setting. Um, and I decided, you know, it, it won't help me if I'm sarcastic. I'm not going to, I'm not going to convince them of everything or of anything. So I sat down and I said to them, you know, I am, yeah, I am dressed. I don't, if this, if it wasn't an issue for me today, you know, I don't think it would be an issue tomorrow or the day thereafter. And I said to them, but you know, you can rest assured if I show up at work naked without having brushed my teeth, you can fire me. It's okay. I'll understand. So it was a conversation that we had, but it also wasn't a very, a very long conversation because I think people are curious and it is annoying to always have to address the curiosity. It, it gets old, we get tired of it, but I think we have to distinguish between cases where people ask us and there's no point in explaining yourself over and over again because it doesn't matter. We might not see them again. It happens on a train station or it's, you know, it's, it's inconsequential in that moment. But in this case, I think I decided that considering I've sent out my CV to 400 companies and this is the first company that was actually willing to interview me, I'll indulge them to a point, but I will also make it known that these are my boundaries. These are the things I'm not willing to discuss with you. And um, so, so I think it was it was a difficult conversation to have, but at the end of the day, it was also I was willing to do what I needed to do within obviously ethical grounds to get the job. So I answered their questions, I got the job, and then it was 
a point where I decided now I have to do everything I can to convince them that I should be here. And unfortunately for disabled people, it, it is that you have to you have to appear to know more. You have to appear better prepared because as a disabled person, or let's rather say as a non-disabled person, if you make a mistake, then people argue, you know, we human, everyone makes mistakes. But as a disabled person, if you make a mistake, then the argument is, I knew I shouldn't have hired that disabled person. It's a double standard and we can deny it as much as we want and we can fight against it as much as we want, but we have to accept that in many cases, and especially with new employment where, or a new employer-employee relationship where people don't yet know you, that that's the attitude. I mean, once you've paid your dues, once you've earned their respect, once you've been there for a few years, then, you know, they start to see, but, you know, you are also human, you can make a mistake, and it has nothing to do with your disability. But unfortunately, in the beginning, your disability, or at least in my experience, it felt like my disability was the main elephant in the room. So from from that point, having now moved into employment, to what degree did you have to advocate for inclusion within, you know, with your fellow employees? What was that kind of sensitization process like for you? And were you given support for, by your, your management team in, in getting those levels of inclusion in, in your, any of the workplaces that you've been with? So I don't think I've ever received support from either companies, HR teams or management teams or anything like that in the inclusion process. And this is a difficult conversation for me in the sense that because I've never received it, I've always had to advocate for myself. Mm. And I felt in a way that because it wasn't forced, it happened easier. It was more natural. So yes, it took a bit longer and it in, sometimes it involves conversations where I have to tell someone, you know, this thing you are doing or this thing you just said is not okay. Yeah. But I, I also felt it gave me the opportunity to let people get to know me and get to know what I need from them on my own terms, not on terms that they, you know, learned from a book or was coached on by someone else or um, terms that didn't work for me. It was up to me. So yes, it's, it was a more exhausting approach. And obviously I can't say whether it's better when companies come in from the start and they know how to, you know, um, conduct the induction process with inclusion and um, accessibility and things like that. I, I don't know if, you know, your your experience then is better, but I find that um, in, in my case, it's been, I, I mean, I haven't really worked for companies that, you know, exceeded hundreds or thousands of employees where my first company, we were about 80 employees. And I found in that setting, it was all lawyers and lawyers are a special breed of people, a very, very unique bunch when they're together. Um, everyone is quite outspoken. Everyone has their own opinions. Um, and in that setting, it was very easy to come in and make known what I needed from them because they expected that. That was, you know, the, the way they conducted themselves every day. So um, I think that worked out well. I never really felt like I had particular problems there and I did face a lot of discrimination during my time as um, an attorney and I faced a lot of insensitivity comments people said that used to irritate me but because it was in a setting where we were all attorneys legal professionals it was very easy to walk up to people and say you know listen I don't agree with this it wasn't you know no one no one got offended no one felt that you know you shouldn't have said that um, there wasn't a lot of, you know, you crossed the line here saying this or that. It was, you know, everyone kind of said what they needed to say. Um, moving to the company where I work for now, I found it a little bit more challenging. It's a bigger company and it's a company with people from various 
backgrounds, various skill sets, various education levels. And because all because of this extreme diverse group of people being placed in one office setting, I found it more daunting. Um, and I often, because it's a bigger company, I don't get to spend a lot of time with everyone that as I would have yeah. in my previous job. So it makes it a little bit more difficult to, you know, um, try and convince or, or try and educate people on how to include you in things. I mean, at my current company, we had a discussion about um, occupational health and safety requirements a while back, and we were discussing the evacuation process. And the company had no evacuation process for disabled people. And I mean, currently we are about 10 people with disabilities who work there. So, and I mean, that's people who use wheelchairs, people who are visually impaired. So different categories of disabled people. And I mean, you would expect them to have something as simple as that. So I think in that sense, when you move to companies that are bigger, that have more divisions, more companies working under one roof, it might be beneficial to have someone from your your HR team that has specific um, knowledge of diversity and inclusion to help with the sensitization process and to step in. But I also think practically and realistically speaking, it doesn't often happen. And it's it's no use sitting and crying that, you know, well, I don't have this at my company now, what am I going to do? Because the truth of the matter is that corporate companies, the whole idea of the company is to make a profit and they don't often want to spend money on things like diversity and inclusion, especially if it's like a more medium-sized company. Um, They are going to expect you to figure it out yourself. Yeah. That's a really interesting kind of, thought to to carry forward because we're seeing a lot of people involved in the diversity and inclusion space but often disability doesn't seem to feature as much in the DEI conversation would you say that that's no, it's it's actually very it's very true so a few years ago um the legal practice council came out with Uh, new regulations around the idea that candidate attorneys had to have a driver's license and a car when they apply for work. So the idea with with this was it, it came on the back end of a very big discussion around transformation of the legal profession. And they said, well, a lot of previously disadvantaged um, law students do not have the ability as a first year candidate attorney to get a car, to have a driver's license, to get someone to teach them how to drive. So this is not a, a it's not ideal we can have. It's it's not a, it's not a good thing. It's not a requirement that should be accepted. And you know, at that point, we were saying, well, you know, there's been court cases about disabled people who took um, law firms to court that took. Um, you know, companies to court and said, you require that I have a driver's license, but it is not an inherent requirement of this job that I'd be able to drive. And we said, you know, how after years and years of disabled people fighting for this small thing, just, you know, make it a, a rule that you are not allowed to ask for a driver's license in a recruitment process. And when we talk about transformation in other spaces that has nothing to do with disabled people, now we can see that, yes, we need to change this, but when it was disabled people that asked for it, you know, we didn't do anything about it. So I, I see the, the the point there around disability often not even coming into the conversation. I think that historically, that's something that we are seeing playing out, not just in employment, but in across different spheres of society. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of shifts and changes that we 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 really need to see see working. I want to focus on a few of the the specific challenges that you've experienced as someone working within the legal fraternity and within the law field. So tell me some of the challenges that you face, the experiences that you've had. 
So I think you've already actually touched on something really big and it's the fact that it's not just in employment where disabled people still face significant disadvantages because some of the challenges I experience actually have nothing to do or very little to do with the profession I'm in. But it's things like when I started my articles, I obviously had to tell them, well, I have no car, I can't get a car, I can't drive around. And I had to Uber everywhere. So now the way it works is you can charge a client your traveling fees, but it's on AA rates and Uber Mm -hmm. does not cover AA rates. So I was a candidate attorney. I was earning very, very small salary and I had to factor in my rent. I had to factor in Ubers to and from clients, from court, everywhere I need needed to go. And that was a massive challenge, you know, living, you working um, 15, 16 hours a day and you have worries that, you know, you aren't going to make or pay all your bills at the end of the month. You still have to factor in that you have to Uber. You know, some of those trips could be unexpectedly far. Um, so it's definitely, and I mean, the legal profession is already quite a, a stressful profession in the sense that if I make a mistake, I, you know, directly affect someone's livelihood. I directly affect someone's chances to um, secure judgment for themselves within a reasonable time frame. So th- there's a lot of, and then you also have to deal with, you know, the stress of you face opponents every day that, you know, you have to step out of your comfort zone every single second of every day. And now you have the additional stress that, okay, I have to pay for Uber, but you also have the additional stress that's okay. An Uber driver might not want to pick me up with my guide dog. So this is going to cause delays. It's going to cause arguments, extra stress. Then you get to, you know, um, the building where you have to go. Now you actually don't know where you are and there, there's no one to yeah. assist you. Um, you know, perhaps there's no security guards. Um, so you have to figure that out. That causes additional stress for you. You walk inside the building and you're faced with advocates and attorneys who aren't always, um, you know, you would expect in the legal profession discrimination and stereotypes and things like that don't really exist anymore. But I found that it's probably one of the professions with the highest rates of all of those things. So you step into a building and these people have no idea how to treat you. All of a sudden, they can't look at you. They can't talk to you. Um, they don't take you seriously. So there were definitely all those challenges. There were the challenges that if you step into a court building, they put the court role for the day up against a door. So it's a handwritten court role often. So no matter what you do, you cannot read the court role. I mean, even if they printed it out and, you know, you can try and scan it with your phone, but it's so difficult to take so much time. Yeah. Um, so those things, you know, posed challenges. Um, and then I think some of the the challenges I faced on a more, you know, a professional level was you sit in meetings and especially after COVID. Now, don't get me wrong. I do really like the fact that we've moved to virtual meetings um, more often than what we do face-to-face meetings today. Obviously, for me, that takes out the whole stress about Uber and um, going to buildings where I don't know the layouts of the building and having to actually meet people. And then, you know, people know that I'm disabled and having to have that conversation every time. It's it's easier now because meetings happen on my terms. It's a virtual meeting. Nobody knows I'm disabled. Um, I can conduct the meeting without having to have any discussions that I prefer not to have. The problem now is that um, we do a lot of screen sharing. So that is one of the challenges. Um, I haven't 100% figured out how to get around. Um, I find that the easiest way is to be better prepared than, um, uh, you know, anyone else would prepare for that meeting because other people would just say, well, you know, we're mm. on the screen. It doesn't matter. I don't need to know it beforehand where yeah. I have to spend more time familiarizing myself with everything. So that is one challenge. And I think the second challenge just goes back to um, perception Every day, you know, once people know you are disabled, I have to convince them every day that I know what I'm talking about. And, you know, I can do the job you 
hired me to do. Um, there are some general challenges. Um, when I was an attorney, for example, one of my big challenges was that we had to obviously draft a lot of documents and every company has their own way to format those documents. Oh. And I couldn't obviously always do the formatting exactly the way they wanted it because I can't see how they want it. Um, so I had to kind of, um, I, I didn't have an assistant that could do all my formatting and things like that. So what I ended up doing was I would tell people, okay, you know, I will take this thing off your hands if you can do my formatting for me. So you have to build relationships with people because you don't always, I mean, in, in an ideal world, you would get reasonable or you would, I don't really want to say it because this is not really a reasonable accommodation, but you would get accommodation to the effect that you have an assistant that helps you with all of these things. Mm -hmm. But in the real world, you make deals with sometimes the devil and sometimes just, you know, regular people. And, you know, you make it work for yourself. Um, so, but, but I mean, all of these challenges, I think disabled people already live with a very high anxiety because things that are easy for people without disabilities cause anxiety for us. And these little things just kind of like piles onto your, you know, the, your plate of things that make you feel anxious. So then moving from the challenges, what would you say are some of the advantages or some of the positive things about working in the field that you are for you as someone who is visually impaired? So one of the biggest advantages of particularly law, I would say is that you are not limited to one type of career progression strategy. So you can, I mean, the, the most logical or the most well-known one is obviously the one where you finish your law degree, you do your articles, you get admitted as an attorney and you work for a law firm and you are an attorney and that is your career. But in reality, you can do pretty much anything. You can go and work for, you know, any as a in-house legal advisor, you can work as an attorney if that's what you wanted to. If you worked as an attorney, you know, you have to do your articles under another attorney, but you can go out and open your own law firm. So, you know, if you can't find work as an attorney because of your disability or, you know, whatever the case may be, you have options to start and do your own thing. I mean, you can become an advocate. You don't need to actually do articles to become an advocate. So once again, it's another you know, career strategy where you can actually exclude the recruitment process, the application process, all of those things entirely and, you know, do your own thing. Um, it's a, you can, you know, you can go into academia. It's a very versatile field to study. So it opens the possibility of securing a, a job for yourself or creating a job for yourself, um, which I think is probably for me one of the, the the best things about um, the profession. And I think, you know, some of the other advantages, and well, it could be an advantage and a disadvantage, but it's you. Well, you know what your rights are. Um, you know how to enforce your rights. Sometimes you know how to bluff your way through a conversation when you want to make a point. And um, I think obviously the downside just being, because you know all these things, you also know that in South Africa, um, enforcement of rights for disabled people is more a theoretical concept than, you know, actual prospects of getting justice. Um, but I mean, the, the, the point is more, you learn to be an advocate for yourself and for other people from the first day that law and you start mingling with other lawyers, legal professionals, students, things like that. It's, it's an attitude you adopt. Um, and I think if I could teach, you know, people to stand up for themselves always in, you know, that, that would probably be one of the most helpful things to disabled people. But I think, you know, in the legal profession, that's one of the things you have to learn. Um, and then obviously, you know, one of the other positive things is that you can make the career suit your lifestyle. So, so where I currently work, I don't really have a lot of flexibility, 
but I've worked, you know, at my previous company, I was working from home after COVID. I never went back to the office. I had that option available to me. I mean, you know, you can make your lifestyle suit your needs. So, um, you know, if you are the kind of person that can't, you know, you, you don't have the capacity to work a eight hour or 10 hour day, you know, and I mean 10 consecutive hours, then, you know, you could find yourself a career in the legal field where you can structure your days to suit your disability, to suit your needs. Um, so I think that is one of the very big attractions for me to the field. Um, and then obviously, you know, on a more professional level, that probably doesn't really have much to do with my disability, but it's it's a profession where I get to learn new things every day. I get to expand. I mean, I started as a litigation attorney and now I've branched out into, you know, mergers and acquisitions and compliance and you learn something new every day. You meet all kinds of people every day. You meet people, you know, with other problems, with other difficulties. And sometimes as a disabled person, you get so stuck in thinking about your disability and your disadvantages and how your life is more difficult than everyone else's, you kind of lose perspective a little bit. So I always find that, you know, talking to people from all walks of life sometimes helps me to keep things in perspective. And it also keeps me from dwelling on my own difficulties and my own issues. And I think that's definitely one of the things that the profession has given me, you know, the, the opportunity to meet so many people. Yeah. What tools or resources have you found that have been really helpful to you and that you could offer to other people who are considering going into the legal field? So maybe we can take a step back and we can start with um, the, the recruitment process because for for most disabled people, you know, that that is where it starts. Um, you know, you need experience and to get experience, you need a job. So I, when I applied for my first job, I put my disability on my CV. And because I disclosed it, I think I had a, a far more difficult time getting people to interview me, you know, getting a call back, something like that. So when I decided to leave, um, practice, I decided I'm going to keep two CVs. So I have one CV where I disclose my disability and one CV where I don't disclose my disability. The purpose obviously is that where I disclose my C my disability, I use that CV only for positions where they advertise specifically that they have a policy not to discriminate against disabled people or where they specifically ask for disabled people. And the rest of the time I send my CV that doesn't have my disability status disclosed. I believe in the approach of, you know, we'll ask for forgiveness later. Um, but I find that after I did that the second time around, when I was looking for a job as an in-house legal advisor, coming from the, the position where the first time around I sent out my CV so many times and I got no interviews. And then the minute I took it off my CV, I was called for quite a few interviews when I looked for um, my position. And the good thing about this is that interviewing is also a skill. And the more interviews you go to, the better you become at, you know, learning how to navigate interviews, how, you know, what to say, when to say it, how to say it, read the room. Um, so for me, that was like a very good lesson to learn. So I, 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 f I really feel that that made a big difference. And, you know, once you go into an interview with people, you get a very who they are. You know, if they ask you uncomfortable questions, they make you uncomfortable. They they don't want to talk to you. They don't want, you know, they're not interested. Then do you really want to work for a company mm -hmm. like that that's going to treat you like that throughout? So I, I found that, you know, you can assess people's intentions in an interview setting. And if you go for interviews where they, you know, they ask you questions out of curiosity, but you get the sense that, you know, Overall, it's not bad. They, they're willing to learn. They're willing to educate themselves. You know, that's probably the kind of company you can work for. So um, I think that was the first thing that I started doing. The second thing in the recruitment process that I started doing was to look for opportunities where the 
is advertise themselves where they didn't work through a recruitment agency. Um, I don't, I don't really know of other people with disabilities, but personally for me, I've never been successful using a recruitment agency. And obviously I could be wrong, but my sense is that for a recruiter, it's about the commission. And when they see a disabled person and they know nothing about disability, then they see their commission going out the window. Um, they aren't all, always willing to take a, a chance on you and present you to the employer. So I go straight to the employer. Sometimes I will see a, you know, a, a position being advertised through a recruitment agency, but they actually put the company's name there. Then I will go on the company's recruitment page. I will go look for the HR person or the person dealing with their recruitment and I'll phone them directly and say, you know, can I send my CV? Um, because once you do that, you can also broach the conversation where they sometimes have um, recruitment policies that exclude you, like some of these little cognitive tests that you have to do before um, you actually, before they actually look at your CV. Some of those tests are um, not accessible to a person with a visual impairment. So if you go to the employer directly, you sometimes get the opportunity to kind of get a workaround these things from the get-go and you don't have to face recruiters who, you know, they interview. I always found that I wasted a lot of my time and I've gotten very little in return for that. So I think if at all possible, you know, go to the source. And um, then I think in the, in, once you've secured a job for yourself, um, find as many tools as you can for your particular disability. I mean, for all of us, it's different. So, for me, I rely heavily on technology. Um, so I always look for new apps. I keep, I try to keep up to date with the new developments out there, new apps that are available, new, um, you know, new programs, new ideas. And particularly if you're going to work for a company in, you know, in, in the private sector, once again, be mindful that for them, the bottom line is profit. Yeah. So if you go into interview and you say to them, you know, I would like this job. I need you to give me A, B, and C, and it's going to cost you 200,000 Rand to accommodate me. They're going to tell you, well, I'm sorry, but you know, I can't do this. And that is really so I feel go in with as much as of the resources that you can. So for me, it's, you know, um, just things like NVDA, free screen reader. Nobody has to pay for it. Um, it doesn't make them feel uncomfortable because I'm not asking them for anything other than, you know, to put it on a computer. And to be honest, it's a much easier conversation. It's much easier to tell them if you do not want to allow me to put the screen reader on your computer that you don't have to pay for. That is a reasonable, you know, that's unreasonable of you versus saying if you don't want to pay for this screen reader, that's going to cost you 20,000 Rand, you know, it's, it, that becomes a more difficult conversation to yeah when or you know so I find that when you go for an interview use your own resources that you prefer um, make sure you especially in the legal field make sure that you know how to use a computer well because the, the legal profession is a very we rely heavily on technology we you know everything today we do on computers so, so make sure you you know you can work with a computer you you have all the tools that are available to you. Um, and then once you've built the relationship with your employer, then you can start asking for, you know, additional things. So for me, um, once I built a relationship with my employer, I said to them, you know, can we discuss maybe give getting Adobe Pro for me? And then they were like, well, yes, you know, we've, you know, we've seen you, we know you, you haven't been unreasonable. You've showed up every day. You've worked as hard as you can. You've really, you know, you've earned our respect and, you know, we can do this for you because we see you as an investment in the success of the company. So I really find in an interview setting, it's not always the best approach to, you know, pull out your list of your, your wish list of demands and, you know, try and get that through. But I find that once you've built the relationship, it becomes a lot easier. So for me, you know, once I've built the relationship with my employer, it became easy to say, okay, I want Adobe Pro. And then sometimes your employer comes to these conclusions all by themselves. You know, they, they would come to me and say, okay, you know, I see that you have difficulties 
performing your work in an open plan setting. Now that I've spent some time with you, I understand that, you know, it's difficult for you to listen to your computer and the chatter of 20 people around you. Let's see about getting you your own office. You know, they, they do get to know you. They do start seeing the, the challenges you face. And I mean, most people are actually not, you know, horrible monsters. They, they would actually accommodate you if they, if they really understood the problem. So I, I really think, I really believe in, you know, have a, have a good attitude. Your attitude is probably one of the best tools you have when you apply for work and when you start working for a company, you know, go in every day with the attitude of, I'm going to impress you, you know, I'm going to earn your respect. I'm going to make you see me and I'm going to educate you. And, you know, if you can do that, if you can convince your employer that you are a worthwhile investment, I don't really think that they would hesitate to accommodate you in whatever way they can, because for them, it's, you know, you are, you know, it's it's worthwhile. They retain you, you stay there for a long time. They trust you, um, you know, so I think, you know, focus, always focus on your career path, on your growth, on, you know, have a good attitude, you know, do the, get the, the resources that you need that's within your means to get. And, you know, once you've built the relationship, you know, then start asking for additional things that you require. Um, I think it's a bit difficult to speak of specific tools because, you know, disability is a, it's a diverse community and, you know, what works for me might not work for everyone else. So, you know, I have no sight left, so I can't use magnification technology anymore. So I absolutely rely on speech synthesizers and things like that. Um, you know, I have a a guide dog where someone else might prefer a white cane. So I think use the resources that you have and then look for resources in your community. So if your company doesn't have, you know, a, um, diversity and inclusion specialist phone, you know, the guide dog association, if you have, for example, issues getting around the building and say, you know, I've started working at a new building could you come out and assist me just to find my way around the building? Um, or, you know, nothing stops you from going to your, your HR department and saying, you know, I see that we do not have this. Um, I've noted these problems. So in my case, I say to them, we have 10 people with disabilities at our company now, and we haven't accommodated them by figuring out a safe evacuation plan for them. Um, there's no, you know, communication often, doesn't filter down to the people with disabilities in the company. So, you know, once again, and this is one of the most frustrating things for me in the disability space is that now I'm saying, I'm putting my hand up, I will do this for you. And obviously the downside still being that I'm essentially taking over a function that other people would have expected to get payment for. But sometimes, you know, it's it's the sacrifices that you have to make to make your life easier and more accessible and you know once again you know maybe once I've built the relationship again in this sense I can go back and say okay you know I've done this for you you've seen the value it's added and I want to be compensated for it now yeah thank you Anel if people would like to reach out to learn more about you and your journey or would like to follow you on social media where can they find you so you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on um, Facebook um, for people with disabilities in particularly. I have a Facebook group, um, it's called Savvy, South African Visually Impaired Community. Um, I also have a Discord server that I maintain. Um, it's kind of like a resource center for people with visual impairments. It's a place where the whole community comes, we put out all the resources together, you know, whenever we have links, you know, useful things we can share, new places where you can buy things, um, we put all the information up there. Um, You can send me an email, um, Lois, I will send you all my details and you can just add it um, to have my email address and, you know, the links to all my social media pages. And you can also contact me on my cell phone. Right. We'll add all of that information into the show notes so that wherever you're finding this episode, 
there will you will find the show notes there as well and all of this information will be there in a text format which can be read by a screen reader or by someone using sight so and that, just perhaps yeah. sorry um be, before we we conclude you know maybe i can just say this one last thing that sure a, a lot of things that i've said today it sounds demotivating and it's disheartening and it is truth the truth that the world out there the the corporate world can be ruthless and it's it really is um it, it can be very taxing emotionally physically mentally um but I, I think once you find your your footing once you settle in there are you know there are days most days are really worth it there are opportunities for career advancement you you know you have the option to decide your own journey and your own destiny and um i think what i've learned in the last few years is that we can't do this alone because it's such a a difficult environment and i think many of the um other visually impaired attorneys and um advocates i've been talking to in the last while we all come to the 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 same point where we say you know it is extremely difficult to have to do all these things every day prove yourself every day um work so much harder than everyone else every day and i really think for me it helped to build this community around me because as much as i'm giving information to people on my you know discord platform or on Facebook or, you know, on the WhatsApp groups I maintain for um, visually impaired lawyers, law students and other legal practitioners. I've also been getting the same amount of support in return from that community. Um, It helps sometimes to sit down and say, my employer is not promoting me. I've been working so hard. I've been doing everything right. And every time they just say, well, I've realized that it's difficult for people with disabilities to get a job. So I'm going to make you do all these things and I'm not going to pay you for it. And, you you know, all these things that happen, sometimes terrible things happen to disabled people in the workplace. And I think really the the best that we can do for ourselves is to surround ourselves with a community that understands the things we go through and that can support us on our journeys. And that's often always sometimes you know, it's the best resource center that's available to us because I sit down and I find something that's really useful. And when I go and I speak to the people in my community, I say to them, you know, I've, I found this thing. It really helps. And they come back, you know, with something new. So, you know, we have a lot to learn from each other. And I mean, there's a lot of networking opportunities available in the sighted or, you know, the non-disabled community. So I really think, to build up a network in the disabled communities is equally important, you know, because that's the place where we can sit down and say, this horrible thing happened to me. You know, I just need someone to talk to, or, you know, this really good thing happened to me. And it's people who, you know, understand, even if that good thing was simply that, you know, today I found my way to someone's office without getting lost, you know, to someone that's not disabled, they'll be just be like, you know, okay, if you say that's great and I'm assuming it is, but for a visually impaired person, you know, we really understand what that might mean for you so i think the point i'm trying to make is as as hard as it is it can also be good and i think at the end of the day we just have to find the community and the resources that make it good for ourselves and now thank you so much for spending some time with us today sharing a little bit about your journey within the legal field and some of your advice for people who are considering law as a career option. It's really been fantastic to chat to you and we appreciate your time. So thanks so much for joining us today on A Different Way of Seeing. Thank you so much, Lois. Thank you for listening to A Different Way of Seeing. We would love to connect with you. So find Lois at loestrachen.com or Facebook, Lois Strachan Speaker. This podcast was edited by Craig Strachan using Hindenburg Pro. Hindenburg, it's all about the story. The credits are done at Naledi Media. 
Na Lady Media. All your vocal needs under one roof. Read by Charlie Jassy. That's it for now. Thank you for joining us and see you next time when we bring you into the world of seeing differently.